Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, William Martin will join us to discuss December 41. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, World War II, a time for thrills in a new novel, which a assassination plot is about to occur. Joining us today to discuss his new book is William Martin. He is the New York Times bestselling author of over a dozen novels, an award-winning PBS documentary on the life of George Washington, and a cult classic horror film, too. His novels like Back Bay, City of Dreams, The Lost Constitution, and others have told stories of great and anonymous of the American history. He joins us today to discuss his new book, December 41, a World War II thriller. Mr. Martin, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Well, thank you for having me. Great novel that you've put together, December 41. I'm curious how you came up with the idea for this book. Well, it came to me almost like a lightning strike. I was watching the movie Darkest Hour with Gary Oldman playing Winston Churchill, and he's on the phone begging Roosevelt for help in May of 1940 with the Germans closing in on Dunkirk and France falling. And Roosevelt can't help him because he doesn't have the political capital as yet to be able to help Churchill, even though he agrees with Churchill that they really ought to defeat the Nazis. And I thought to myself as I watched Churchill slump in despair after that phone call, well, after Pearl Harbor, in a year and a half, those two men will meet at the White House and they will stand on the south portico to light the national Christmas tree on Christmas Eve and give speeches that echo down the ages, particularly Churchill's. And what a target they would make. And so there it was. The what-if scenario that, that all novelists are always looking for, the, the big idea that can grab a reader on page one and will carry them all the way through till, in this case, page 297, and the, uh, the big climax on the South Lawn of the White House. In the novel, a German assassin is going to escape an FBI dragnet in Los Angeles on the day after Pearl Harbor and begin his journey to Washington, D.C. to pull that trigger on Christmas Eve. What a setup. Is there something about those instances that captures you and you go, wow, that is the situation when everything could have changed? Yeah. Oh, sure. That we know from the history that we have lived through that there have been a lot of moments when everything has changed and sometimes not for the better. You know, think of John Wilkes Booth and what he managed to accomplish on an evening in April of 1865 or Lee Harvey Oswald. And in this case, it just seemed to me like it would be a great setup for something very tense and exciting. If you've read my books, you know that I never change history. The characters that I write about are changed by their intersection with history. So as you're reading along, getting toward that climactic scene on Christmas Eve, 
you're going to be uh, reading faster and faster. And somewhere in the back of your head, you're going to be saying, I know that FDR and Churchill survived that night. But on that page and with those characters, you're going to be saying to yourself, oh, man, I hope he doesn't get Churchill. I hope he doesn't get Roosevelt because it's going to make it really difficult to defeat the Nazis in 1941. So that's how I approach this story or any story. We are all living history, even today, on this very day. And in some ways, we will be changed by that history. And we are all the products of the history, not only that we have lived, but that our ancestors lived, going as far back as you can track. And that's the big theme in most of my novels. Your book comes complete with a whole cast of characters, FBI agent, a Hollywood script reader, different types of individuals all interacting with this historical setup, how you came to see their place in this particular situation. Well, the idea that a lot of different people would come together in rather unpredictable ways, and some of them end up sacrificing themselves, that a lot of people would come together to stop this assassin, that idea is sort of in a way expressive of, I think, where the United States is in December of 1941. It is a country that has been inward looking. It is a country in which 800,000 people are members of a, an organization called America First, which of course had been organized by Lindbergh as a way of keeping Americans out of World War II. It is a country that loves its popular culture. And there's lots of reference to popular culture in this book. You know, the number one song on December 6th on the Billboard charts was Glenn Miller playing Chattanooga Choo Choo. The number one movie in New York and Los Angeles was They Died With Their Boots On with Errol Flynn. And of course, on December 8th, when the book begins, at Warner Brothers, a play arrived called Everybody Comes to Rick's. And that play, which would be read and synopsized that very week by a young reader who becomes Kevin Cusack in the novel. I took that little detail and fictionalized it. That play would become the movie Casablanca. And buried in Casablanca are a couple of lines that I think embody that the idea behind the generation of the characters in this book. When Bogey is sitting there after he meets Ilsa for the first time in all those years, and he's having a drink and he's depressed, and Sam is playing the piano in the background, and Bogey says to him, Sam, it's December 1941 in Casablanca. What time is it in New York? And he says, I don't know. My watch has stopped. Bogey says, I bet they're asleep in New York. I bet they're asleep all over America. And this book shows those sleeping Americans, those Americans focused on their own little worlds, awakening, finding the steel in their spines, and doing whatever would be necessary in order to defeat this threat to democracy, which is embodied in Martin Browning, the German assassin. And that was how I figured out the way that the characters would all work and develop. And I think it worked out pretty well. I think the attraction and the depth of your stories is those details that you've researched and finding out what that number one song was and all these other details. Going back through the history of it, is it tough to pull out those details? Do you look for certain things in terms of trying to paint that picture, that scene? No, I'm, I enjoy doing it 
because it gives me the opportunity to avail myself of all kinds of research assets that we have today, not only the ability to travel. My wife and I went to Los Angeles and ate in the restaurants that I described, most of which still exist. And we explored the ruins of fascist compound that you can still find back in the hills of Los Angeles, a very creepy place that I had read about years ago. Then, of course, there are interesting books to read on the subject. Then there are amazing collections of videos to watch. You know, when you're writing about 1941, you have a lot of motion picture material, newsreels that you can see. There's an amazing Pathé newsreel of about 30 minutes long. Pathé was the British company that produced their newsreels for the news of the world that they would show in the movie theaters. And they set up a camera on the south portico of the White House on Christmas Eve, right next to FDR and Churchill. And your listeners can just type in FDR Christmas Eve speech video, and they can see this video of the two of those men totally unaware of the camera. They're playing to an audience that you can't see. And they turn to each other and they chat and they mutter a few words that you can hear. And then each of them gets to the microphone and and gives the the grand speech for Christmas Eve. And when you watch it, you become mesmerized because you feel as if you are, are just eavesdropping on history. And in a way, that's what I like to try to do in my books. So doing research like this is uh, is very satisfying and enjoyable and keeps me working, even when I might not be flowing as a writer, which still happens after all these years. I've been doing this for 42 years, and sometimes the ideas just don't come, but the research is always there. And you can accumulate little bits and pieces and return to them later. You can do the kind of close study of, in this case, a lot of ballistics work that I had to familiarize myself with in order to write about the various weapons that this German assassin and his accomplices consider before they settle upon the rifle that they use. So there's a lot that has to be done. The time period is inherently tense. Stakes are pretty high. Is it easier for that kind of time period? I see what you're saying. The the important thing to remember is that in, in all good storytelling, the main characters should be facing the biggest crisis of their lives. And, you know, whether we're talking about the guys going fishing in Jaws or Hamlet in the play Hamlet, this is the biggest crisis they've ever confronted. But for me, the opportunity to put characters in the biggest crisis of their personal lives on a stage that is as enormous as World War II and of the biggest crisis in our national life, that just doubles the intensity of the story and gives me in every scene that kind of conflict that every good writer is always looking for. The questions you always ask as a writer, what does the main character want? Who stands in their way? Why here? Why now? And with a book that's set in the first two and a half weeks of World War II in the United States with an assassin planning to kill the two leaders of the free world, 
all of those questions get answered every day. So while the writing isn't easy, you have a head start on it every day. So yeah, I guess the answer is I did like working on uh, on a book that was about the the cataclysmic event of the 20th century. It certainly is captivating and quite a read. We are running slightly out of time, though. I'm curious if you have any uh, final words regarding your new novel, December 41. Well, I think that everyone who picks it up will enjoy it. That's my goal, to keep you turning pages long after you should have been asleep. And as I said a little bit earlier, even though you know that FDR and Churchill will survive the, the night of December 24th, 1941, when you get there in this book, I guarantee you that you'll be a little nervous about whether it's actually going to happen or not. And that means that I've done my job well. So enjoy, tell all your friends, and thank you for having me on today. We were just talking with Mr. William Martin, the new novel, December 41, a World War II thriller. Mr. Martin, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Thanks for having me. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.